what else could I possibly have been wrong about? And that began the journey. That was the, the, the fraying of the fiber, the fraying of the thread that I just kept pulling it and the garment just came undone in so many ways. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to Our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javet. Today I'm joined by Pastor Otis Buckley. Otis, or OL, is the pastor of High Point Bible Church in the Bronx, New York. He has had an interesting journey that brought him to High Point. Thank you for joining us today, OL. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to a fruitful conversation. (laughs) Amen. So before we get started, please tell us very briefly about your family. Here's my logic behind that. I believe family is so important, and it humanizes us. So the audience, when they are hearing you, they know you, Uh, not just a person talking to them, but a person who is a real person with real family and real family issues. So I hope there is no issue there, but I just want to help audience to know a little bit about you. So briefly tell us about you, your family, and where you are uh, located. Sure. Thank you. I am Oel Buckley, uh, pastor of High Point Bible Church. My wife and I, my wife uh, Sway, uh, as she is affectionately called, we have known each other over 20 years. We've been married. Actually, this coming September will make it 15 years. We met actually at church. I was uh, the janitor, and uh, on a particular Monday, and I say this because Monday, not a lot of people, the uh, staff were at the church on that day, but but I was there mopping and cleaning the youth building, and she had a meeting with the youth pastor. She came and walked across my my newly mopped floor. Uh, I often uh, humorously say she disregarded my caution with floor sign. And uh, she walked in and asked for the where the pastor's office was, and I directed her. But because I knew that there was only a few people there, and I knew all of their vehicles, the vehicle I didn't know was uh, likely hers. So I went out and uh, memorized what vehicle she was driving. And I say that because um, the other thing I did at the church, the the other way I served was I worked in the parking lot as cars would be pulling in. And so I was going to be looking for her red Toyota. And uh, (laughs) um, she, she pulled a fast one on me. And that particular week, I actually got a new vehicle. So the vehicle I was looking for was no more. And so she calls it stalking. I call it uh, gathering intel. Um, and so that's how we met. That's kind of the funny on that. And uh, 10 years later, we got married. We lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for about uh, 18 years total. And then the Lord called us and moved us here to the Northeast, where now we serve and work in ministry. And um, yeah, here we are. No children no. yet, but we've, we're believing God that, that that's on the way. Amen. Um, so you are not from the Bronx, rather you are planted in Bronx. Is that where it is? Or are you originally I was born and raised in Chicago. Okay. Um, born and raised on, on this on the south side of Chicago, actually. And after high school, I was uh my first year of college, I was attending a local college there, a junior college in the Chicagoland area. And then my mom and I 
after she was widowed, we moved to Texas. And there, some years later, my mom had remarried after several years of uh, being a widow. And it was during that time that my wife and I met one another. Now, interestingly enough, she was born in Brooklyn, my wife. Wow. But her schooling, uh, high school and upwards was, or well, high school years, uh, was in Los Angeles. And then she went to college in Fort Worth at TCU. And there, her we ended up attending the same church, and that's how we met. So that's kind of the, the wow. previous story to the one I just mentioned. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Oyal, starting with the end in mind, please share a little bit about your church, about High Point Bible Church. Yeah, so High Point Bible Church, I like to think of it more as a replant mm. than a plant. And I say that because it did exist. It was actually started by my father-in-law, as I uh, call him. And through uh, a series of events, he had passed. And when he passed, there was, as you can imagine, all kinds of things that was, you know, what do we do now kind of uh, going on within the church and the church leadership at the time. And by God's providence, I stepped in and did an interim for about a year and a half. And then after the interim, the church had a meeting and decided <laughs> they they came to the conclusion, yes, we want you to be our lead pastor. And so um, that put me in a situation where I had to navigate all kinds of things the morning of their pastor and my father-in-law, as well as my wife's dad, and then trying to get my footing. And, you know, as you can imagine, there would have been some some political things to navigate um, with personalities and some people made certain assumptions that they had authority to speak on certain things. And so I really had to trust the Lord and just move very gingerly through that whole process. Um, but I say all that to say, uh, we went through a period where, you know, a lot of patience, a lot of grace. We ended up uh, changing the name, which my father in love was already that was something he already had in motion. So High Point Bible Church became the name, um, High Point Bible Church NYC. And, and so I call it a replant because there's a lot of things that, that, that have changed, that are changing. I've changed. <laughs> the Lord is changing me real time. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of sanctification uh, has taken place and is taking place. And so that's where we are. Yeah. That's good to know where you're coming from and what's the background of the church. Now let's talk about your journey. You had, you have had a, quite a journey through various mm -hmm. denominational theologies. Mm -hmm. What was your first church experience and the biblical truth that led to the next theology? Sure. So my upbringing as a child was some might know the figure <laughs> in the early early years of the church, coming out of the book of Acts. Some might know uh, the name Sabalius uh, or what is called Sabalianism. And um, it probably is more commonly known as modalism or modalistic. My upbringing was modalistic. Uh, I was raised one as Pentecostal. And so I had no concept of the Trinity. Um, I knew uh, the word Trinity, but I did not know really all of what that meant. And so for me, 
if you were to ask me at 10 years old or 12 years old, uh, because I'd been in church all my life um, uh, or in the oneness church all my life, I, I knew Father, Son, and Spirit, um, but I thought of Father, Son, and Spirit as being um, one person, not just one being, but one person. And so that was my thinking. And so I prayed that way uh, in my mind, conceptually. I may not have said this with my words, but with my mind, I thought Jesus, you know, is the Father. The Father is Jesus. The Spirit is Jesus. Jesus is the Spirit. The Father mm. is the Spirit. The Spirit is the Father. Uh, to, so to me, there, there were no uh, um, distinctions within the Godhead um, of any kind um, other than how they manifest, you know, those distinctions would have been manifested. Um, but it was really, as, 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 as one writer says, one actor, three hats. And so that upbringing was very <clears throat> legalistic. It was very, uh, but it was actually very loving at the same time. And, and, and that might sound oxymoronic, um, but uh, it was a community of what I call classic Pentecostalism, classic oneness Pentecostalism which is a little different than what people think about when they think today's Pentecostal. Um, there are major differences and even disagreements between what we would say is neo-Pentecostal mm -hmm. versus classic Pentecostal. And so being raised classic Pentecostal, there were even challenges that I had with neo-Pentecostalism or new Pentecostalism. And so um, growing up, I, I heard preachers who were committed um, to biblical exposition. They were committed to scripture memorization. Um, while a lot of that would play itself out in sort of harsh legalistic ways, mm -hmm. um, there was a seriousness. There was a, a, a kind of sobriety. There was a, a sense of urgency in evangelism. There was a, a, a staunch commitment to a life of holiness. And so all of that was sort of uh, uh, built into um, how I was being raised and how I thought about God and my relationship with God. Um, I took repentance very seriously because that's how it was um, given to me and, and really indoctrinated. And so funny enough, I took a class, fast forwarding, I took a class on just kind of a, a overview uh, of um, Hebrew studies and um, not necessarily the studying the, the original language, though there, that was there. It wasn't really a deep dive course, but it was sort of just sort of a, a, a broad survey. And in that broad survey, there were certain um, uh, books of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible that we would look at, as well as even um, certain chapters within the Gospels. And one day, um, we were studying um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, and there was a, a, a crack in the dam, um, as some people will say, or a pebble in the shoe <laughs> that was put in there. When I realized what Matthew 18, 18 did not meant as compared to what I was raised to believe that it meant. And so uh, for those who may, may or may not be familiar, um, Jesus says this, um, to, to Peter, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Um, I never was even 
I never knew to really look at that in context, what verses came before it, what verses came after it, what is the overall tone and tenor of what Jesus is saying, what is the, you know, the authorial intent and the historical context. And so for me, it was always, these are things that we can do. It, it was presented as though it was the believer's authority, all believers' authority, not church discipline, <laughs> but believers' authority. And so when I realized what in fact Jesus was saying what in fact Jesus was doing, looking at him as one who is a Jew, looking at him as one who is um, speaking to his disciples and talking about uh, their leadership and so forth. I asked myself, well, if I've been wrong all these years, that I can't bind and loose whatever I will and I willy nearly want to bind and loose, what else could I possibly have been wrong about? And that began the journey. That was the, the, the fraying of the fiber, the fraying of the thread that I just kept pulling it and the garment just came undone in so many ways. And I want to connect that with another event. So I had spent years working in media and television um, with regards to churches throughout North Texas. And I worked as a cameraman for different ministries. And so I served in that way. And one day um, I get a call, because this is very common. Um, if, a, if, if a church across town is short, a camera man or you know, a camera operator, it's such a small community Directors know each other. Editors know each other. Camera ops know each other. Um, oh, I know a guy over here. I can call him and see if he can sub for your person who's out. So one day I get called to a to a church, and um, I was there for a number of years um, to serve. And this particular church was, um, I'll use the expression, thoroughly Trinitarian. Um, the pastor was a Dallas theological grad, and in their baptisms, I would see this following of Matthew 28, 19, um, where Jesus says in the Great Commission, go, you therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've taught you. And I thought, well, that's different from how I was raised, because I was raised with a Acts 2.38 formula. And I want to use that word formula because that's that's really important to understand the rigidity and the adherence to Acts 2.38. And so I, I thought, well, is Peter at odds with, with Jesus? And is Christ at odds with Peter? But if it's the emphasis is Christ and why would I just not listen to Christ? But then I thought, wait a minute, they can't be at odds with each other. Um, the Bible is not contradicting itself, is it? And so these just raise certain tensions. And, and that began the process where the Lord really started to transition me out of um, modalism and really opening my eyes to, yes, God is one being, but he's three persons. And, and so I, I jettisoned the concept of three manifestations and I embraced 
the reality of three persons. And it's no longer a conflict for me. The Trinity may be a bit of a mystery, but but it is not a conflict or a contradiction for me anymore. And the Lord used those those experiences. That's great. Do you think many people in the urban setting are wrestling with those things and they are going beyond social problems and social issues that usually uh, tend to take most of the energy and focus uh, of a church? Do you think they are uh, exploring theology? They are going and deeper and trying to figure out what their place is in the society, especially today, the way things are. Do you think other churches are reflecting on that too? Yes. I think um, the time and sort of the the environment that I was raised in, speaking of an urban context, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. many things were just sort of accepted wholesale mm-hmm. on the strength of who said it. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas today, because we have such um, just a everybody's got a YouTube channel, everybody's you know everyone has a podcast. Social media has just made so many things just so easy and accessible mm-hmm. that now um, a person can spend a few hours. I don't want to say this in a in a condescending way, but a person can, can spend a few hours on social media and become an expert. <laughs> In, in, in their minds and, and then go out and sort of recruit um, by, you know, intention or just sort of de facto followers. And now you've got a group of people who think this way about this particular underpinning or that way about that particular underpinning. And so what it has done is while it has made truth more accessible, it has also made confusion um, more, more pervasive. And so now the local church is having to contend with questions mm-hmm. that, whereas in times past, um, things may have been more accepted wholesale without mm-hmm. much investigation. Now everything is being ran through um, such a fine sifter of, of critique. And I think the biggest flaw, so I served in an urban setting. I was in New York for about 13, 14 years. 11 of them was uh, as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the things I realized that over the period of time, people have uh, begun to think about what their theology is. It's not just, okay, if it says uh, my church was Calvary Baptist Church, so but that doesn't mean almost everybody asks, oh, are you part of uh, Calvary, you know, the whole mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. church? No, we mm-hmm. were not. Oh, or you mm-hmm. are Southern Baptist? No, we were not. Uh, so wh- mm-hmm. who are you? And then we have to explain how we were the Bible <laughs> church and this is what we believe. And mm-hmm. I think the same was true with so many, and still it is, so many um, churches that have, uh, they call themselves non-denominational. Mm-hmm. But I just was talking to one of my um, disciples. I've been with him for many, many years. And he was visiting me this uh, y- yesterday um, uh, during Sunday service. And I said, so... Uh, where where are you going for worship? He said, I go to such and such church. I said, oh, great. I said, it sounds like, uh, um, is it uh, non-denominational? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, in non-denominational uh, setting, where do they lean? Where, what was their theology feels mm-hmm. like? And then he expressed, and I said, oh, that's what I thought. 
So I think some now, because everyone, even whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, and all the other, and Pentecostal, and in Pentecostal, you have so many of them yes. too. Yes. Um, so now we are dealing with this whole issue that, oh, let's change the name. So therefore people are not offended. Most of the Baptist churches move away because sure, sure. the name Baptist causes certain level of anxiety to certain people because uh, mm -hmm. things that are associated and what has been done in certain uh, part of our country by Baptist churches. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have all of this going on. So, But at the same time, I think it's important uh, for urban churches to look into their theology and establish that, uh, have clarity on not just take everything that is out there because uh, that's also going to hurt in the end, but having something clear, not just fluff and emotion, but having some solid doctrinal truths uh, um, clarified for the congregation so they know what, mm -hmm. where they're coming, where they stand. So as uh, you said, the social media, man, um, YouTube, you have, uh, I'm, I'm teaching through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And uh, still today, I mean, in our small groups, I run into these, uh, I'm hearing, and in, in my own small group, people pick this interpretation, oh, but I think this is what it is. I said, no, you have to stay with one. If you are a preterist or idealist or historicist or futurist, you got to follow one of those. You can't just like, okay, today for this section, I'm going to be this, because then you <laughs> need to answer for the rest of how you're going to interpret the rest of the text. So sure. these kind of uh, uh, conversations are taking place. It is urban setting where I am. Uh, we are mm -hmm. uh, a very diverse community. It's a metro New York area, mm -hmm. um, 45 to 50 minutes outside of uh, uh, Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, let me move forward with this question. Sure. Thank you for sharing uh, uh, your background and uh, the process of this journey. Um, it, I think it's helpful for the um for the audience, some of uh, us are not uh, paying that kind of uh, attention because we've been brought up with certain lens. Um, mm -hmm. we, we are looking at the scriptures and everything. Oh, as long as evangelism uh, oriented, uh, um, you know, Christ follower, just loving on each other. It, oh, so everything else is good. We don't need to worry about it. Nah, but that's how Satan creeps in, right? <laughs> yes, uses those things like, Okay, you got the love. There's not, no problem over love, but you it's, it's seven churches of uh, <laughs> the revelation. That's Somebody right. got the love, other one is lacking the doctrine <laughs> truth. So we got to figure these things out, right? So let me ask you this. How mm -hmm. was God working to move you as an individual, but also as a pastor to the next part of your journey. Uh, theologically, I'm speaking as he was developing you. How was he moving you to the next part of your journey? Yeah, great question. So I think every dilemma raises a question and every question creates an opportunity for pivot. And so, I found it beneficial to embrace dilemma mm. because then that's going to raise a question. And if it's a dilemma, uh, one word worth really investigating. And, and I believe that we know in our minds that, you know, if something is really problematic, that it's worth ironing out, reconciling. And so I came to the point where I realized 
I'm not sure that I really know God the way mm. that I think I do. And let's just say, for example, that whatever I thought I knew about God was mm. correct. Right. I think the danger then is to say, well, then I don't need to know anymore about God. I mean, how arrogant would that be, right? <laughs> so um, while we can know God truly, that doesn't mean that we know everything there is to know about God. And so at the very least, I said, okay, even if I know God truly, there's still more to know. I mean, he's infinite. He's vast. He's altogether lovely. He's glorious. And so I wanted to at least go down that road. And in doing that, I began to really look at my Bible and not make the assumption that whatever I thought I knew was 100% spot on. And so I said, I'm going to do it as best I can. And I would pray and say, Lord, help me to let your word impose itself on me rather than me impose myself on it. And, you know, to be very, very frank, I was raised in an environment where not even knowing I was doing it, I was imposing my belief on the word of God. And so my mind became the grid through which scripture was to be interpreted, rather than scripture being the grid through which I understood all that the Lord would reveal through his word. And so that being said, I went back to the beginning. I started looking at literally in the beginning, God created. And I started to, to, to really delve into, and the Lord helped me to really see, the term is called big God theology, right? So is he bigger than what I thought he was? Yeah, he's bigger than that. Is he wiser than what I thought he was? Yeah, he's wiser than that. Is he more powerful than I thought he was? Yeah, he's even more powerful than that. But then there comes the issue that the Lord really helped me to see by his spirit, and that is, these are not like compartments of God. His omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his bigness, but all that is within God is his substance. It is God. So now I could no longer play fast and loose and say omnipotence over there, but it has nothing to do with um, you know, his omniscience. No, his power is as much him as his wisdom, is as much him as his mercy, is as much him as his grace, is as much him as his holiness. And so no longer do I compartmentalize God. And, and, and that was a process. That was a journey. So now I could go to anywhere in the Bible and I could see the attributes of God there, wherever I was in scripture, even in, say, the books of poetry, whether we're talking Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, etc. I look at that and I say, oh, God is there. So when the word talks about wisdom, <laughs> I have to now see wisdom as a person not just simply as this sort of uh, attribute, but actually as a person. I see peace as a person, not just something that is given or bestowed. And so that took years, but I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit made it a joy. It's like learning your spouse, mm. learning your spouse. It's like even learning, you know, I've been told your children as they grow, as they mature, there's such a, a, a there's such an overtaking awe that can happen if you just not make any assumptions that 
you've arrived in your knowledge of God. And that's what I had to really pull back from. And that took years because in some cases I did it knowing I was doing it because I thought I was holding on to truth. But in some cases I was doing it because I was sort of engineered to do it. Mm -hmm. And so the short of that is, is that as my view of God, as he became more magnified in my mind, scripture became more clear. That became the the genesis, <laughs> pun intended, um, for 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 really seeing these truths of God. So now there's no discontinuity anymore. There may be things that my mind struggles to reconcile, but I know they're reconcilable. Um, and I don't have to um, sort of emphasize one verse and suppress another verse in order to make the one that I really like true. Um, it's either all true or none of it's true. And, and, and that has become something that the, that the Holy Spirit has worked out in my life and has done in my life. And I am so grateful because my awe of God has been renewed. In, in your journey of discovering all this, uh, did you find somebody el someone else doing the same thing? Did you run into someone who was exploring the same way? understanding or it was more of a you know personal self um assessment of things and analyzing what's going on and personally in your life and then reflecting on that or was there some book or person or some model out there because new york city is a headquarters of models all sorts of <laughs> models are there for sure. church planting and replanting and theology and fixing your church whatever you want is there um so was there anything? Yeah. So, so the, the, um, now earlier I made a reference to YouTube and other platforms. Um, but the Lord has used those platforms as well. So I kind of talked about how they may have added to a lot of confusion or, or given voice to a lot of, you know, strange voices or amplification to a lot of strange voices, but the Lord has also is is using social media um, in a way that is really helping people to to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to grow in the truth and the Lord used that in my life. There be times where you know you kind of have your voices that are in a tribe that you listen to, and those voices that I you know grown up listening to. Um, one by one, as certain texts that I mentioned earlier, Matthew 18 and 18, certain things that I would see would raise question. And every question that came up, I mentioned dilemma, question, and pivot. Um, every dilemma would raise a question, and then it, it would drive me to go and search the answer. Well, the searching had sort of threefold. One, I would pray, would help me to see, because I do believe that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, if he truly indwells us, is that he leads and guides us into all truth. And I, and I do believe that. Um, at the same time, I also know that I ought to search the scriptures too, because the Holy Spirit works through the scriptures to help open the minds and illumine us to the meaning of the word. But I also know that there's a place for right teaching, and the Lord gives his church with able teachers. And so... When I would see a question from, let's say, a prominent voice in the tribe that I was sort of in at the time, but I was kind of working through, there's a another problem that's in that. 
you you develop an affection for the voices that has that the Lord that were speaking to you. I, I, I'll, I'll just put it that way. And so you got two things to contend with. One, and this is what I had to deal with. Somebody that I love or 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 endears was false or wrong. And when I say false, I don't want to necessarily assume malicious intent. Mm -hmm. But there was an ignorance that was there. And then there was a there was a dogma about the ignorance at that. So there's that piece. Um, and so um, I, oh, it, it was so tough because it's like, I've listened to this person for 15 years. And then I realized that their paradigm for interpreting scripture, their, their, their hermeneutic, was off. And so that that skewed everything, many things, many things, because even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? But that would skew many things. Um, and it's funny, the, the the statement of broken clock being right twice a day, I say that I've I've kind of added to that, and that's only for a second. <laughs> so so um truth for a second um doesn't mean that you know, I need to continue following this voice, and so there's there was a there was a heart connection, as well as well as a thought connection to what was being taught. And once I removed myself from the thought connection, the harder part that I found was I couldn't read their books anymore. I had to slowly, really start removing them from my library, even though I really felt strongly about these people emotionally. And I think that's the bigger challenge. And in an urban context, what I have found is that people are like, yeah, but I've listened to this person all my life, or yeah, but I've read their books, or my parents listen to this person, or my grandparents listen to this person, even in some cases. So what do you do with all that baggage? Because sometimes coming into the truth and accepting it can feel like an abandonment of your heritage or an abandonment of real people, family members, real people that you love. And that is the attention that I've had to really wrestle through but at some point, I had to let God be true and every man a lie. And that doesn't mean that because I disagree that I cease to love, that I cease to pray for. It just means that I can't be instructed by that voice anymore. And, um, and that, that is, is the challenge that I walk through. So, you know, I'll tell you, I set up at night and every challenge I had, and I'll just take the, the 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 modalism and Trinitarian aspect. For every modalistic um, view that I held or underpinning that I held, <laughs> Reformed theology had a biblical answer for. And I uh, would sit up at night um, and I would go down a rabbit hole of Paul Washer or the late R.C. Sproul. Um, and in some ways, I really appreciate R.C. Sproul as well, because there was a, um, a logic and a philosophical underpinning that really helped to unpack 
scripture to me. And so I, 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 um, the Lord used that to use that season. And I just named two, two individuals, but those individuals, as well as others, um, to really help me. And it, and it wasn't just, just, just them. I, I, I listened to a lot of old sermons of Adrian Rogers and it was just like, whoa. So what can I say? The, the, the Lord's timing and his patience. And I would often say things to my wife the next day. Hey, I watched this. I, I, I read this. I heard that. And I wouldn't just sort of like, you know, just dump all that on her all at once. Though it was kind of difficult. <laughs> but I would have to just sort of mull it over and live with it sometimes for a month or a couple of months and then say, hey, I used to think like this sweetheart but now i think like this about this matter or that matter so i think especially when you're thinking about urban church especially a city like new york city um, mm -hmm. depending on where what part of the city you are in you are going to see a certain type of demand from the community so if you are in so my church was in midtown manhattan and my years there were the years when Pastor Keller's teaching were, you know, became the teaching. Everyone mm -hmm. like, oh, that's what we need. Everyone is trying mm -hmm. to tailor their um, mm -hmm. teaching mm -hmm. style or thought process, the way he engaged the skeptic and all that. So that came because you had a large uh, population that gravitated toward that, you know, just the way you explain about C.R. Sproul, that he has his way of explaining th certain things, giving you logic. Pastor Keller has the, his own way of explaining mm -hmm. his logic. Um, but at the same time, when you see that, it becomes almost, uh, oh, well, let's go this way. The certain community or certain part of the city, doesn't matter what city you are. You could be in London, Dubai. You could be in uh, Bombay. It doesn't matter where you are. In each of those uh, cities, you, that, yes, city has its own context, but within that, you're going to have wherever that church is. Most of the time, the church is not a uh, just a community church, it's a transient church. Mm -hmm. People are coming and taking buses, or somehow they are getting there. So my thought always been that depending on where you are, you already have a certain demand on uh, you, yes. the pastor, when you're coming yes. in. Because that's the that's the social uh, context of that community, and they've been trained in a certain way. So if you are in the in the Bronx, in certain part of the uh, Bronx, you gotta have uh, you know very uh, solid uh, old style Baptist uh, uh, type uh, teaching because many of them are Caribbean, and mm -hmm. they have heard uh, those English teachers, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, uh, England. And they, that's how they grew up. And when they got, got here, they went to those churches and they continued mm -hmm. with that kind of tradition. Mm -hmm. And then you have those who are, um, you know, Baptist, but black Baptist churches, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. and then you have uh, Pentecostal, then you have Charismatic, you, then you have all these churches that have been planted in the last uh, uh, 20 years, uh, um, African, like African, African churches or yes, Asian yes. churches or yes. uh, more of a, mono-ethnic churches. And then if that was not enough, then you have this whole wave of immigrants starting their own churches. They, in the yes. daytime, they are working. Uh, there might be taxi drivers. And then they, in the evening, they are coming together. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the Hispanic churches are like that. Uh, yes. Their pastors are not full-time pastors. They are working and then they come together. This is just, that's how it is. 
Sure. When you look at that whole idea, then you run into the, also the problem you run into is um, what theology or what school they have gone to, what person they have studied under, what theology they have uh, um, studied or trying to preach from, it becomes mm -hmm. very difficult. I had several people, I used to teach at New York School of the Bible too, mm -hmm. so I will get students from other parts of the city and one of my students was from this, um, I always remember him because he was just such an amazing man of God, very energetic. His church was somewhere in Brooklyn. And you could, he was Caribbean. I don't know the makeup of his church, but such an exciting person. And the reason why he was going to New York's Bible, most of them were going to the New York's Bible because they didn't have any um, seminary or Bible uh, mm -hmm. training. Therefore, they were they were pastors, great pastors, but they were going to the school to get their education so they can pastor. Um, so I think those kind of things are so important, so needed, because when you come from overseas uh, and you are a minority, that's the last thing you're thinking about going to Bible college and and yeah, yeah. getting or going to seminary or which seminary you don't go to. You don't pass, mm. you don't you don't expect you don't expect to give money toward your education for bible bible is there you just ask the holy spirit bible should be like, <laughs> right there should be teaching you so sure. that's the idea you pick up the bible and now you are in the ministry now there are good things about that too people are very simple they they love god speaks to them and spirit opens the text to them but also there are many more dangers too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, it's the lack of wisdom, lack of uh, training, lack of lack yes. of all the other things. And I think more than ever before, now we are in that uh, trouble uh, because uh, you have access to all these kind of things. So when you are hungry and all sorts of food is sitting in front of you, it's very easy to eat something that you never tried before. And now you've discovered that, oh, you were allergic to it or food poisoning or other things. And I think that's uh, uh, being a Pakistani believer. Um, God just gave me, it was honor um, to, you know, be able to go to Bible college, go to um, good seminary, get the right education. Um, but at the same time in Pakistan, still most pastors don't have uh, education. They have not even gone to middle school, like regular school school, mm -hmm. uh, let alone, uh, but they are pastors. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, much of uh, ministry I'm doing in Pakistan is training them in, in mm -hmm. the Word of God. Not Perfect. that they somehow they are able to read the Word. Some of them in the old days, they were not even able to read the Word, but they had memorized it. So they would just mm -hmm. speak it from the memory. But at the same time, there's a, this huge distance now between... Uh, between what we need to know in order to communicate to people who are dealing with all these kind of bad theological um, theological arguments, they, they don't know how to answer those questions or deal with those situations. And even um, right now in the last, uh, since 2020, 2020 mm -hmm. especially in New York City, it just it changed so much, so many social yeah. issues. And every yeah. issue somehow ends up uh, being a spiritual issue. Um, and uh, church is always the victim. So therefore, I, I like the way you have been thinking and 
pointing toward that, hey, there's a need. Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was OL talking about moving from various theologies to transforming to and pastoring a reformed perspective church. And thank you to all our listeners. We truly could not do this without you. If you learned something, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us feedback, drop us a note at oururbanvoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in in two weeks for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. 